thank you to the worship team. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. If you don't remember a word I said, remember that line from the first song. My name is Micah. Good morning. Welcome to Northfield. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 2. Last week, Rick introduced us to the prophet Jeremiah, and Rick's focus was on Jeremiah the man, who he was uh, as a person, his ministry during the last years of Judah's existence before they were overrun by the Babylonians. Today, my focus will be on Jeremiah's message, his past prophecies, his hard words for God's people right then who he was dealing with, who had rejected God, disregarded his covenant, and yet they still claimed to be God's people. Next week, Brady's plan is to also look at Jeremiah's message. Only Brady's focus will be on Jeremiah's future prophecies. The new covenant that God promised through Jeremiah 600 years before Jesus came to fulfill that new covenant. And then this series will conclude then with Nathaniel Shaver planning to discuss Jeremiah's lamentations, his expressions of extreme sorrow after the destruction of uh, Judah, the fall of the great city of Jerusalem, and yet his hope in the unchanging God whose mercies are new every morning. So that's the series we're in today. Today, I plan to preach on just one verse in Jeremiah. Read it with me, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. This is God talking through the prophet. God says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Let's pray. Lord, I am amazed at your prophets in the Old Testament, the courage that they had standing up with hard words against all the opposition, all the disbelief. They were willing to give hard words for the people. Lord, this is a hard sermon as I attempt to relay the message Jeremiah had for his people. I ask that you would give me strength, and I ask that you would give us all hearts that are soft. I pray this in your son's name, amen. This is it, this one verse, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. 800 years before Jeremiah wrote these words, Moses gave the Israelites God's covenant. What you and I now think of as the old covenant. It was God's promise to his people. God, in his covenant, he told the people what he would do for them, how he would bless them and provide for them, how he would be their God and they would be his people. God also, in his covenant, told his people what he expected of them how they were to live, how they were to obey God. In other words, this covenant was a two-way street. God promised to bless his people, but God also called his people to do their part, to follow him. Just before the Israelites then entered into the promised land, Moses 
reminded them of God's covenant. He said in the book of Deuteronomy, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall multiply and live and the Lord, shall bl- the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But, Moses continued, If your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. That was God's encouragement and his warning to his people about them keeping his covenant. Follow God and he will bless you. Turn away from God and you shall surely perish, Moses warned. For 800 years, this covenant generally served God's people well. Through 400 years of judges and then another 400 years of kings, the Israelites, they strived to follow God and obey his commandments. And although they failed routinely, they repented routinely and they were restored routinely. They enjoyed the blessing of God's covenant Until now, until this time where we are here in Scripture, the time of Jeremiah, by the time Jeremiah began to prophesy, he was preaching to dead ears. There were no no more repentance. There was no more conviction by God's people. They still claimed to be God's people, but they were unfazed. They were even offended by the words of Jeremiah. Jeremiah's message to the people was dire. It was negative to the degree that even the prophet himself would often break down sobbing as he delivered a message of rebuke and destruction to God's people. They had forsaken God. In other words, they did the very thing God warned them not to do all the way back when he gave him his covenant. The God who created them, the God who said to their father Abraham, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. The God who spoke through Moses saying, Israel is my firstborn son. This is the God that they have forsaken. Just a couple verses prior to our verse today in Jeremiah 2 verse 7, God said, I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruit and all the good things. This is the God they have forsaken. Jeremiah further described God to the people in chapter 10. He said there, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is great in might. He goes on to say, It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding, stretched out the heavens. This is the God that they have forsaken. The God who, in our verse, calls himself the fountain of living waters. You ever consider the importance of water? It's pretty important. It's an absolute necessity for life. You know, kind of like your iPhone, right? And mascara, and your favorite pair of boots, and beer and Starbucks, and Chick-fil-A. You know, all the necessities for life. No, not at all like those things. You can survive without all the things you think you need, and you'll just be uglier and skinnier without them, but you'll survive. But water, you cannot survive without. 
It's an absolute necessity for life. You cannot survive without water. It was God's main building block in creation, according to the first two verses in Genesis. When Moses brought the people through the desert before entering the promised land, twice they found themselves ready to die of thirst. And both times, God miraculously gave them water from a rock because water is an absolute necessity for life. It was so essential that depriving the enemy of water is a common wartime tactic throughout history. The Greeks started this practice all the way back during Jeremiah's day of poisoning their enemy's water. During our own country's civil war, the Confederates were known to poison the wells of territory taken over by the Union Army by throwing dead animals into them. In World War II, Japan poisoned the wells in China with typhoid. And the Nazis poisoned reservoirs of their eastern neighbors. They poisoned them with sewage. Even now, present day, in the last 10 years, when ISIS would destroy entire villages in Iraq, they would also poison the wells with oil in order to prevent the enemy from ever returning. Because water is an absolute necessity for life. Without clean, fresh water, you and I cannot live. In Jeremiah's day, the Israelites had three main sources of fresh water. Their best source, by far, was from a spring. It was the freshest, healthiest water because it flowed. Because it flowed, that's how it got the name living water. It was moving. Living water was cool and refreshing. It was natural and clean. It was the first choice in water. The next source of water, which was a distant second place from living water, was well water. A lot of Israel was dry, and so the only way to have predictable water is to dig a well. And so going all the way back to the time of Abraham and Isaac, wells were dug. The water was dependable, but it wasn't fresh living water. It was stagnant, stale water. The third source of water in Israel was from cisterns. Cisterns were basically underground reservoirs that were dug out underground. They collected the rainwater. They were shaped like a teardrop. They had a small opening in the ground that led to a large pit that had been carved into the limestone and then uh, sealed with cement to hold the water. A cistern was a great way to have water for livestock and gardens, but the water from a cistern was filthy. It collected larvae and bacteria. Because it was filled with runoff water, it also collected lots of mud and animal poop. The water from a cistern was disgusting. My people have committed two evils, God said. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. The people Jeremiah spoke to had forsaken God. They had forsaken the fountain of living waters. They had forsaken the freshest in pursuit of the filthiest. They had forsaken that which is natural for that which is man-made, artificial, 
They had forsaken that which is ever flowing, always dependable, for that which is never flowing, never producing water, only at best storing water. And the worst part is, these cisterns couldn't even do that because they were broken cisterns that can hold no water. Their man-made patches had failed. These cisterns couldn't even hold filthy water anymore. The only thing left in these cisterns was scum. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. Water is an absolute necessity for life. The only things these cisterns held was death. What were these broken cisterns that God's people had forsaken him for? Jeremiah lists many of them throughout his book. One of these broken cisterns was sexual immorality. In chapter 5 of Jeremiah, God said, They committed adultery and trooped to the houses of whores. They were well-fed, lusty stallions, each neighing for his neighbor's wife. The people in Jeremiah's day had reached levels of sexual deviousness that appalled even their pagan neighbors. Adultery was common. Sex as a form of Baal worship was encouraged, both heterosexual and homosexual. Nothing was taboo. The kinkier, the better. And they were proud of their twistedness. They had no remorse. In chapter 8, God asked Jeremiah, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, God said. They were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Broken cisterns. Another cistern was deceit. In chapter 9, God spoke through Jeremiah saying, They bend their tongue like a bow. Falsehood and not truth has grown strong in the land. For they proceed from evil to evil and they do not know me, declares the Lord. Let everyone beware of his neighbor and put no trust in any brother. For every brother is a deceiver. Every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Everyone deceives his neighbor and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity, heaping oppression upon oppression and deceit upon deceit. They refuse to know me, declares the Lord. Truth in Jeremiah's day had become an endangered species. You couldn't trust anybody. You couldn't trust your spouse. You couldn't trust your parents. You couldn't trust your employer. You couldn't trust your coworkers. You couldn't trust the merchants. You could not even trust the priests or the prophets. Everyone was deceitful, not honest with themselves, and certainly not honest with others. The only trustworthy one was God speaking through Jeremiah, but the people had forsaken God. Instead they, uh, of truth, they chose deceit. Instead of living water, they chose broken cisterns. Religion. Another broken cistern. God's people in Jeremiah's day, they had forsaken God. They worshipped everything and anything but God. They lived in a manner that made even the pagan nations cringe. 
but they still loved their religion. They were still quite proud of their temple. In Jeremiah chapter 7, God asked, Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered. Only to go on doing all these abominations. These people were religious. Their lives were a train wreck. But when it was time for some religion, they'd ride that train straight to the temple. Live how you want. Just give some lip service to God when the time calls for it, and then you can claim we are delivered. Religion. Broken cisterns. Being the religious people that they were, these people still loved their prophets, but they only liked the ones who told them what they wanted to hear. As their nation was crumbling and the Babylonians were about to come in waves, each time taking a chunk of people into captivity, they didn't want to hear Jeremiah's message of God's judgment in their need for repentance. They preferred the lies of the false prophets who told them that God will bless them. That's what false prophets do. They tell you what you want to hear. True prophets like Jeremiah spoke words nobody wants to hear. In chapter 23, God said, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. These people rejected the hard words of God that he spoke through Jeremiah. And instead, they, they liked the comforting words of the false prophets. Broken cisterns. The biggest broken cistern throughout the book of Jeremiah that he called out was false religion or idolatry. These people didn't just claim to still worship God. They also boldly claimed to worship other gods, namely Baal, who was the god of the Canaanites. Baal worship had become so prevalent in Jeremiah's day that in chapter 11, God said, Your gods have become as many as your cities, O Judah, and as many as the streets of Jerusalem are the altars you have set up to shame, altars to make offerings to Baal. In the Canaanite pantheon of gods, Dagon was Baal's father and Asherah was Baal's mother. Baal was the god of weather and fertility, and he became the most powerful of the Canaanite gods. As Baal rose above his father in power, he took his mother, Asherah, to be his lover. Yes, that you heard me correctly. His mom became his lover. Apparently, Baal was from West Virginia. The people believed that whenever Baal and Asherah would mate, Rain would pour down upon the earth. And so as part of their worship of Baal, the Israelites would perform the most immoral sex acts. Sometimes these took place with temple prostitutes. Sometimes these took place as public orgies. The Israelite women would bake cakes 
to Baal's mother slash lover, Asherah. They called her the queen of heaven. Baal worship also at times included child sacrifice. In Jeremiah chapter 19, God said, They have filled this place with the blood of innocents and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal. Imagine a religion like this. Let's worship a sex-crazed, incestuous God who we can easily entice. We can turn him on. That way we can justify our own immorality by claiming it's actually a good thing. It's actually an act of worship. And let's be willing to destroy our children over our fascination with this God of sex. That's Baal worship. Broken cisterns. How could these people possibly believe in such a weird, false religion? G.K. Chesterton wrote, Once people stop believing in the God of the Bible, they don't just believe in nothing. They begin to believe in anything. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. God's people had broken God's covenant. They were unrepentant. They were unfazed by the despair and the destruction their sin had brought about. They were unresponsive to Jeremiah's words. So God tells him now the consequences. He says further down in chapter 2, in verse 22, he says, Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me. These people lie, cheat, steal, fornicate, and then they go take a nice hot shower and use lots of soap. They clean themselves up. They go to the temple to pretend they love God. And God says, the stain of your guilt is still before me. He says in chapter 6, Behold, I am bringing disaster upon this people, the fruit of their devices, because they have not paid attention to my words. And as for my law, they have rejected it. In chapter 19, God says, I am bringing such disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. The consequences of forsaking God are severe. For the nation of Judah, the consequences would be their complete destruction. So God tells them to return to him over and over in this book of Jeremiah. God calls them to repent because God is not just a God of justice and wrath. He is also a God of mercy and forgiveness. He offers to heal his people if they will just return to him. In chapter 3, God said, Return, O faithless sons, and I will heal your faithlessness. In chapter 18, God says, If that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. God does not take pleasure in executing his wrath. God takes pleasure in executing his mercy. He wants to show his people mercy, but when his people refuse to repent, he will show his wrath. 
And so the people in Jeremiah's day, they saw his wrath. They were completely overrun by the Babylonians, carried off into exile for 70 years. Their holy city, Jerusalem, was destroyed. Their holy temple that they had put so much hope in was destroyed. Their homes were destroyed. Their lives were destroyed. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jeremiah said these words to a people who were convinced that they were God's people. He said these words to a people who still claimed to follow God, but in reality, they had completely forsaken God. If Jeremiah was alive today, what would he say to us? We are no different from the people that Jeremiah spoke to 2,500 years ago. We have forsaken God, the fountain of living waters, and we have hewed out the exact same cisterns for ourselves, the same broken cisterns that can hold no water. Sexual immorality. Anything goes in our society, and I mean anything. The kinkier it is, the more it's celebrated. Homosexuality, not good enough anymore. Let's spice it up with a man who insists he's a woman and a man who once was a woman. We destroy our marriages with porn, with flirting on social media, with rejecting our God-given roles in marriage. We redefine marriage. We teach our kids that they can be whatever gender they want and they can have sex with whatever and whomever they want. We no longer say God is love. We say love is love. And then we welcome the most twisted expressions of sexuality in that name of love. Broken cisterns. Deceit. We have drifted from the truth in every possible way. Why be honest? No one else is. Jump on the bandwagon and cheat your way through school. Lie your way out of a disagreement. Deceive your customer. Believe the myth that your sins don't matter, that they have no consequence. Broken sisters. Religion. Live how you want. Disregard God's covenant and break his laws without a thought. I'll see you here next Sunday. Broken cisterns. False prophets. How many of God's people reject the hard truths of his word and yet they love those who tell you what you want to hear? The ones who tell you God is going to bless you. But they never call out your sin. Some of you in here are more than willing to read your horoscope just not your Bible. Broken cisterns. False religion. 
of course we're Christians, but let's also cover our bases. Let's throw in some Eastern religion because who couldn't use a little good karma in our lives? And let's do away with the doctrine of God's wrath because that's just mean. And how about if we get rid of the doctrine of sin? I'd rather call them mistakes because that means I really don't even need a savior. I just need a therapist. You know what? Let's worship Baal. I mean, who couldn't use some bail in our lives? I want a religion where I do what I want, and I want my God to be pleased with the way I live my life. When I'm sexually immoral, I want my God to be happy with me and say, you're so special. If I have to sacrifice my children to this God of sex, small price to pay. Broken cisterns. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. When I examine my own life, and I consider all the ways that I have forsaken God, it's really humbling. All these same cisterns, cisterns that hold no water, cisterns of sexual immorality, cisterns of deceit, cisterns of religion, cisterns of false prophets, cisterns of idolatry, and that's only the start. Cisterns of pride. Cisterns of materialism. Cisterns of anger. Cisterns of self-righteousness. Cisterns of legalism. Cisterns of money. Cisterns of apathy. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. These are the things that I have forsaken God for. Turn over to chapter 3, verse 22. I quoted this verse earlier, but I want you to read it with me. Jeremiah 3, verse 22, God said, Return, O faithless son. And I will heal your faithlessness. I have, and I do, and I will continue to return to God as a faithless son. Because God is always faithful to heal my faithlessness. David said, with you is the fountain of life. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So I return to the living water. What are your cisterns? What are your broken cisterns? What are you forsaking God 
Where are you forsaking God? The fountain of living water and hewing out broken cisterns in your life. Are you happy with them? Are they supplying you with life-sustaining water? Or can you see that they're empty? The only thing in them is scum. Return, O faithless sons, God said, and I will heal your faithlessness. Let's pray. Father, make us repentant that we would not be like the people Jeremiah dealt with, unfazed. Make us soft. Take away our broken cisterns and make us broken people that you may heal our faithlessness, that we would be willing to to be different in a world that is no different from Jeremiah's day, a world that celebrates the, the, the more wicked, the better. May we be willing to be different and scoffed and disbelieved like Jeremiah was. May we be soft in your presence that you may have your way with us. Thank you for Jeremiah. What a man. What a man to stand up and deliver hard words for decades to a people who wanted nothing to do with that message. Thank you for such men. Father, may we be like Jeremiah. Help us. We love you. I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for this body of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Praise God. This concludes our service. If you'd like to talk to somebody, please do. Talk to me. Talk to the elder in the back. Maybe some of you need to just go home and hop in your closet on your knees. Don't neglect it. Don't be like the people who neglected Jeremiah's words. You're dismissed. God bless you.